Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. get to hear and enter into that amazing intro. Can we just be sad about that together for a minute? (laughs) Yeah, so battles. Hasn't this been a good series? Really good series. I feel like I will be both learning and teaching the elements that I have learned and taught this series for the rest of my life. Like, I'm just going to have to keep relearning them forever and ever. It has been so good. Now, the very first week of battles, I preached on Second Chronicles 20, right? King Jehoshaphat, he went into battle. Actually, three armies were coming against him, right? No way that he could win, so he ran to the Lord. He got his people to fast and pray, and they marched out in obedience against the armies that were coming against him. And they didn't lose one soul, right? Not one. God fought that battle for them. In fact, the enemy fought against themselves. They didn't have to lift a finger. Second week, Pastor Jay taught on the the walls of Jericho, right? And how they came crumbling down when the people of Israel trusted God, were obedient to God, and marched around that city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day, and the walls came crumbling down. Last week was Johannes. How amazing was that? Right? It was good. He talked about having a lion heart and about Samson and the lion, and it was just so good. And this week, this week I hope to sum it all up for us. It is the final week of battles, and I hope that you've learned some lessons along the way, and we're going to try to sum all that up and talk about a really practical story as well. You know, when I'm going through battles struggles. Just so we're on the same page, I'm sort of defining battles here as those struggles in life, the financial difficulties, the health difficulties, the relationship stuff, all of the issues of life, things that we struggle through. And in the Old Testament stories, they're literal battles, right? Armies and soldiers. But in today's world, it's more emotional, spiritual, mental battles that we go through, right? And so when I'm going through things like that, I often ask the question, how could a good God put me in such a terrible place, right? How could a good God put us in such a bad place? It's actually one of the arguments against the existence of God for atheists. How could a good God, if he is so good, why would there be such evil in the world? It doesn't make sense. There must not be a God. But I I think I'm learning the antidote to that line of thinking, the doubt that inevitably pops up in my mind when I'm going through something. And that answer is simply, I mean, theologically, the simple answer is that there is free will in the world, right? Free will exists so that love can exist. God put us in this world with free will, and so we choose evil over him. That is why evil exists. We now exist in a sinful, difficult world. It doesn't mean it's necessarily your sin that brought on your difficulty, but just the fact that we don't live in a perfect place. Things happen. Yes, that is, that's the answer to that, essentially. But when you're going through something difficult, oftentimes that answer just isn't enough. 
Free will exists. Great. So I'm in misery. Awesome. It still makes me mad, right? I'm still angry at that answer. It, it doesn't solve anything. Do you know we have less problems in this world than we ever have? Just today, 2019, our society and in this place in history, we have convenience. I mean, I can sit at my kitchen table and my, my floors sweep themselves. I have a little machine that vacuums and I have a machine that does my dishes and a machine that cleans my laundry, right? It's easier than ever to go to the grocery store and feed my family. I don't have to go out and forage for food and fight battles just to keep my kids alive. In, in terms of history, we live in a pretty convenient, easy world. And yet, I just read an article this week that said something like childhood um, depression and suicide is higher than ever. Childhood in children, suicide and depression is higher than it's ever been. Well, it's the, the lack of problems doesn't make the fear go away. The pain go away. The doubts, it, it doesn't help us, actually. It kind of seems like it's not a lack of problems that, that makes us all right with the world. And so it's an internal problem. It's a spiritual problem. It cannot be fixed with external circumstances. It doesn't matter how good life gets. You're still going to have that internal hole. It's a God-shaped hole in your soul. And there's a lot of places in the Bible where the authors grapple with the meaning of life. Ecclesiastes is essentially all this grappling with life. He sees evil people doing bad things and they seem to get blessed for it. What's up with that? And why does my success in life and my relationships in life, why do they not fulfill me? And by the end of the book, it says, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Solomon, the, the wisest man in history and arguably the richest says that life is all about honoring God with all our thoughts and lives and thus keeping his commandments. For one day we will stand before him in judgment. Part of our purpose in life is to fear God and obey him. Oh, this was the man who had everything. He had a kingdom, so he had power. He had riches. He had all the women, literally like all the women. That's kind of what he was known for. He, he had everything that there was. And still, he says, all that there is in life is to fear and fear God and obey him. In Psalm 73, Asaph talks about how he was tempted to envy the wicked, right, who seemed to prosper off the backs of the people that they took advantage of. And he looked around him and said, you know what, though, their end is not going to be as good as today. Whom have I in heaven but you, he wrote in Psalm 73, 25. And earth has nothing I desire but you. It's because he had a, an eternal perspective in mind. He wasn't just looking at the here and the now. He had an eternal perspective. Pastor Marv used to say, in light of eternity, in light of eternity, meaning when you're thinking about literal eternity and the fact that you're going to exist forever, does the problem that you're facing right now really matter? In light of eternity. Because there are some things that matter for eternity. Our souls, the health of our souls matter for eternity because that's what goes into eternity. People matter for eternity because they're also going to be in eternity. But the, the fact that I don't have the newest iPhone, 
doesn't really matter, does it? So is the thing that I'm complaining about right now, in light of eternity, does that matter? Asaph had an eternal perspective in mind. Even the Apostle Paul, he talks about all he had achieved religiously before being confronted by the risen Christ. And he concluded that all of it was like a pile of manure compared to knowing Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3, he talks about wanting to know Christ and be found in him, even if it meant suffering and dying. In 2 Timothy 3, he talks about his purpose being to know Christ, to have a a righteousness obtained by faith in him, even if that brought on pain and suffering. See, I'm starting to think that the battles in life aren't only meant to teach me something, but they're actually here for my good as well. I'm starting to value spiritual health over physical health and physical wealth. These guys, they had everything. They had success in in even religion. They had success in finances. They had success in everything. And yet they were still looking at life as empty without God. We see it happen today, by the way. Celebrities, you you see these interviews with people who have achieved all of their goals and and fame and and being an artist and whatever, and, and they... They say, you know what, after that fifth tour, man, I just, it didn't fulfill me anymore, right? I had to go looking for something else. You see it in story after story after story. They achieve everything they've ever wanted, and it's still not enough. They have to go finding fulfillment in something else again. It's because our happiness, our spiritual health doesn't depend on our circumstances, And we think that, you know, once I get the perfect job, then I'll serve God the best. Once I have the perfect spouse, then I can really jump in and serve God. Then, once everything's perfect in my life, then I will give it all to him. But it's not perfection that does that. In fact, go back even further than all these guys in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they had perfection. They walked in the Garden of Eden with God, everything was perfect. Did that help them? (laughs) Go back even further. Satan in heaven. He was an angel, right? And I actually went to bed reading about Satan last night. I know it's a weird thing for like a bedtime story, but he was worshiping God with the angels and he started to get vain. He started to get prideful. He was in a perfect environment and it didn't help him. Therefore, If free will exists because of the love of God, and evil exists because of free will, evil exists because of the love of God. Do you follow that? I know it's a big step back. It is like a cosmic step back to look at the world this way. But I'm starting to believe that battles are there for my good, for me to see the goodness of God. If I, if I don't see a little bit of evil, experience a little bit of that in my life, how can I possibly appreciate the goodness that is perfection? If Satan is only going to walk this earth for a certain amount of years. His days are numbered. God has ordered the universe to exist in this moment in time with evil. And because God is an intentional God, he is a purposeful God, I have to believe that he is here, the evil is here for a reason. I now believe it's for me to see God's goodness. That I experience battles in my life to draw me closer to him. Mind blown, right? 
Am I preaching good? <laughs> I'm just not sure if perfection helps us all that much. And so that's what battles has been about for me. We've, we've studied a few specific battles, and today we're actually going to the New Testament, <clears throat> Acts 16, and we're going to study one of Paul's battles. Now, this story happens, and I know we're going from like cosmic levels talking about theology and, and good versus evil, but we're going to take a little microcosm of that happening here in Acts 16. Paul and Silas would go out on a missionary journey, and this is after Jesus had lived and died and preached and healed people on the earth, and he resurrected himself from the grave, and he went back up into heaven and empowered the disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so they set out to do the job that has been given to them, and they go and spread the gospel throughout the earth. And they're doing that one day, and we actually pick up the story in verse 16 of Acts 16. One day we were going, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Just reconcile that for a second. A spirit, a demon, was in this girl, but said the following words, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Was she wrong? This is just a, a mini lesson within the larger picture. Was she wrong? Therefore, demons have the ability to speak some truth, yes? Good things are not always good things, yes? Bad things are also not always bad things. We've had similar experiences kind of happen here. In fact, one time a lady came in. She was sort of before services asking a bunch of people, could she dance before service? Kim's laughing because she knows <laughs> she was one of the people. And they were like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, uh, dancing in the spirit seems good. That's a good thing. Yeah, dan we have no problem with dancing. Dancing's a good thing. And so they all kind of said, yeah, I guess so. Little did we know that the woman was going to dance here, like right here, uh, the entire service, <laughs> and very loudly and, and disruptively, right? She was dancing in the spirit, and afterward, as I talked to her about this, she believed that she was doing a good thing, and yet it was distracting from the entire body. None of them were having their, none of the church was having their eyes on God for that particular worship service. It was right here, watching her the entire time. The spirit of God, though dancing in the spirit sounds good, the spirit of God does not distract from itself, it doesn't distract from worship of him, so that's out of order. It cannot happen. Sounds like a good thing is not a good thing. Do you follow that? This here sounded like a good thing, and yet because I've been around a little bit of spirits, I know that it was probably either said sarcastically, as in these men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you, how, like very sarcastically and rudely, or, or maybe and disruptively, meaning while they were trying to share the gospel, she's in the back screaming these things, Right? Might be true, still not done in the correct way. God has a spirit of excellence. He's going to do it. Not only say the right things, but do them at the right time. And so this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it instantly left her. Like Johanna said last week, they're on the run, not us. His master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. 
So a little bit of an exaggeration. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, the inner dungeon, and clamped their feet in the stocks. Seems like a bad thing, right? They cast a demon out. Good thing. Preaching the gospel. Good thing. They were literally there and had been turned away from other cities by the Spirit of God. They were in the right place at the right time saying the right things and yet beaten, stripped, thrown into prison. Not just any prison, but the inner dungeon where it was probably drippy and germ-infested and rats running everywhere and cold. And... Just to make sure they couldn't even comfort themselves, they were put in the socks. Bleeding. Shivering, probably. Bodies broken. And this happened to godly men who are on a godly mission. So why on earth do we think? Why do we take the wrong conclusions in our own lives when we're fighting battles and we suddenly start to say, "Uh uh-oh. God, things are going wrong. This must not be God. Things are going wrong. I must not be meant for this. Things are going wrong. God must hate me. Is that the conclusion we should be taking? Bad things are not always bad things. We often take the wrong conclusions in the middle instead of waiting to see how God's going to bring us out of this. And that first weekend, Jehoshaphat, with three armies marching against him, he knew he couldn't win that battle. And if he had taken a conclusion at that moment and said, well, God must just want to take us back to slavery, I guess. Oh, well. He wouldn't have been able to have peace on every side. God wanted to give him peace on every side. That's why the enemy had to come so close. That's why they had to march out, get close, but not actually fight the battle so that everyone, every enemy on every side would hear how good God is. God didn't just want to deliver them from those three armies. He wanted to deliver them from all the armies. God has a bigger perspective. So when bad things happen, it might not be a bad thing. Do you follow that? Joshua had an unbeatable wall in front of him. As Jason told us the second week, he knew he could not win that battle. He knew he couldn't take the city, but God wanted to give him the city. And not only that one, but everyone after that. They had heard about Jericho. It became much easier after that. Abraham, we studied this passage in Bold and Brave over the the past two weeks, and and it's a faith challenger. It's one of those passages that you're like, I don't know, God, do I really believe in a God that would ask Abraham to take his son up a mountain and, and plunge a knife into his chest? Is that what my God would say? And yet it's in there. Every step of that journey into the mountains. Three days it took Abraham to get where he had to go to sacrifice his son. Every step had to have been a decision. A faith decision. I know what God said to me. And and a lot of scholars believe that Abraham actually thought that he would actually have to go through with killing his son, but that God would raise him from the dead to fulfill his promises through Isaac. That's faith, (laughs) y'all. I don't know, but that's some faith. And actually, God used that story. He didn't end up having to go through with it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Genesis 22. He didn't end up having to go through with it. Jesus intervened. An angel of the Lord intervened, which we commonly believe was Jesus. And for generations after that, 
the people looked to that moment and said, the Messiah is coming, just like the Messiah came for Abraham and Isaac as a sacrifice for us. He used that moment, not just in Abraham's life, to bless him with another wife after Sarah died and six more children and generations of blessing, although that's true. But for generations, God is the God of nations and the God of individuals. And maybe your battle you're fighting right now is not just for you and the blessings that God's going to do for you, but for your whole family, for generations of your family, for your whole state, your whole country, your nation. Maybe your battle is so much bigger than you. We can go on. Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Seems like a bad thing. But God wanted to use him to save 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. Your bad things might not always be bad things. Because God can use bad things for good and such good that you end up looking back on those bad things and thanking him for it. And how many times, believers, have you been able to look back on a situation in your life that you hated at the time, but now you can say, thank God that I went through that because I am where I am today. Why do we think that he can do that back then, but not today? Is he not the same God he was back then? Of course he can do it today in the battle that you're facing right now. now sometimes bad things happen because of our own selfishness. Right? We bring them on ourselves, and the way that God has ordered the universe is designed to discipline us sometimes when we do a bad thing. But even God's discipline is good and designed to show us how good he is. Thank you, Lindsay. Hebrews 12 says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you, as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. We need to stop taking the wrong conclusions way too early. Well, you know, God hates me. I can't do anything right. I must not be meant for this, whatever it is, and start realizing that not all bad things are bad things. Start looking forward to what God is going to do. He's always doing a new thing, and he wants good for you. But he also wants you to understand his goodness. And it's hard to do that without fighting for it a little bit. Experiencing evil, allowing the enemy to get a little close, a little too close for comfort so that we have to rely on him and not on our own strength. And the Psalms weren't written in palaces. Perfection. They were written in the caves. They were written while being hunted. They were written out of experience. Your song, your victory song will be written out of experience. It might be a painful experience, an unjust experience. But it will be your most powerful song, your most powerful story, because it will forever remind you who God is. Paul and Silas are in pain. Lots of it. They can't comfort themselves. They're in a drippy, dark dingy dungeon. Everything is going wrong. And yet, Acts 16, 25 says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God. Singing. They were singing. Around midnight, they were singing. And the other prisoners were listening. Notice what they were not doing when everything goes wrong. Belly aching. Behind me. Stomping their feet. How dare you, God? I did everything right, and yet here I am. Right? They weren't whining and complaining down there in that dungeon. They weren't even talking about how much this hurts and how much this sucks and I can't believe we're here and, and God, how dare you? I don't know about you, but I'd be a little mad at this point in the story. But they weren't. They weren't even just like trudging along like, well, put one feet in front of the other. Jesus was beaten, so, you know, I guess. And we So often in life we say, how are you? I'm just, you know, one foot in front of the other. Just getting by. <laughs> when I haven't been beaten I haven't been thrown in the dungeon for doing God's work, and yet uh, my problems are so big. They were singing. Midnight singing. Midnight singing doesn't come from knowing that God's going to you know, work it all out in the end for me, that I'm going to be rich someday, and that I'm going to be healthy, and that everything's going to work out for me. Midnight singing comes from knowing that God has a plan for everyone, for eternity, for me to be with him someday, no matter how hard life is here. Midnight singing is born out of pain. It only happens in pain. And there's a special anointing on midnight singing for that reason. Instructing your heart to obey your mind, knowing who God is, makes, it produces midnight singing. But it doesn't happen when things are good. Midnight singing only happens when we're in the prison, when we're in bondage, when we can't break free, when we're in the hospital bed. Now, I saw my husband back in July. We suddenly, (laughs) he was in the hospital for 15 days unexpectedly with a a life-altering condition we had no knowledge of prior to this. And about, it was real early, maybe the second day in that hospital bed, he looked at me and he said, go get my guitar. And I said, okay, and I went to get his guitar, and I brought it back, and he started singing in that hospital bed, crying most of the time, but singing anyway, not knowing how his healing was going to come. It hadn't come yet. It still hasn't come, but singing anyway. There's power in that. It, It changes who you are when you sing a midnight song. It places your faith. It instructs your soul. You know, you have control of your emotions through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, the Holy Spirit gifts are emotions. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. I did them out of order, so I might have missed one. But those are essentially emotions. The Holy Spirit transplants your emotions, your natural, earthly, human emotions, and gives them, gives you in their place, spiritual emotions, good, godly, peaceful emotions. And it has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has to do with him and who he is. Midnight singing is a, something that happens only when things aren't good. Singing isn't only for expressing our joy in the days of triumph. Sometimes, like Jehoshaphat's case, it's for singing on the way to a battle you know you can't win. That's midnight singing. It's walking around the wall time and time again because God told you to, even though it doesn't make sense. 
And even though the wall hasn't come down yet, I'm singing. I'm praising God. It's for balancing and, and relieving our sorrows in the days of trouble as well. Placing our faith. So when you're afraid, sing. When you're in doubt, sing. When you're in pain, sing. Not just any song, a midnight song. A song of faith and praise and victory. Sing to convince yourself if you have to. Sing to instruct your soul to place your faith. Don't allow your emotions to control you. You are in control. And not only does midnight singing change you and your emotions, it changes the people around you. I was affected by Aaron's songs of faith in that hospital bed. In this case, the prisoners got to hear Paul and Silas singing at midnight in the dungeon bleeding and shivering and broken. You know, this may be the only thing that separates you from the non-Christian. They all come into work every day complaining about life, right? Everything's going wrong. Nothing's going right. Guess I'll go eat worms, right? Everything's wrong. Are you saying the same thing? Or is in spite of all of your circumstances, in spite that the world is going up in flames, your soul is still good. Securely resting in your Savior and not your circumstances. The other prisoners didn't hear midnight singing when things were good. They didn't get to be out on the streets hearing the gospel. Paul and Silas, they needed Paul and Silas in that place where no one else could go or would go. Paul and Silas were the men for the job because they were midnight singers. Because that's who they were. They have proved, had proved themselves to be singers in the midnight seasons. And so there they were, singing at midnight. And it was so loud that they must have woken everybody else from the dungeon at midnight. It was a good song, a hearty song. It was a midnight song. I have this art piece sign in my living room that says those who wish to sing will always find a song those who wish to sing will always find a song my seven-year-old beautiful little girl walks around the house singing a song whether she has a tune or not whether she has the words or not she comes up with some catchy ones watch out for her but I want to be like that I want to sing around the house whether I have words or not because I want to be singing to my God whether I have a reason to or not, whether my circumstances reflect my faith or not. That's the midnight song that makes the enemy shake in its boots a little bit. Because if nothing else, midnight singing terrifies the enemy. Who sings in the dungeon? Who sings when I've just punished them for praising God? Who sings to God when they're being punished for spreading the news about God? Who does that? How do you, how do you come against something like that? That is an unshakable enemy. What could possibly put them off from their mission if a good beating and stocks could not do it? <clears throat> Some of us say we have dungeon faith but we're barely able to admit that we're Christians in our workplace. Or, you know, we we say we have dungeon faith, but the first battle that comes along knocks us all off course. That's not dungeon faith. You know how you get dungeon faith? You step out a little bit. 
Just a little. Step out with what faith you have, the Bible says. Use what's put in your hand to use. Just do the next right thing. Make the right decision even if it's hard. The right decision even if it's painful. Step out with what little faith you have and watch God meet you there. And then step out with the next little bit of faith you have. And the next, it's like a, a... We're building faith one battle at a time with the foundation of Jesus Christ because otherwise you have nothing. Block by block, battle by battle. Chris Hodges, one of the pastors I sort of follow, and I've heard him say this a few times, he always talks about that Tigger attitude. You know Tigger from Winnie the Pooh? He has a, a unique attitude, doesn't he? Anytime someone wants to do something, hey, Tigger, you want to go fishing? Yeah, that's what Tiggers do best right? You want to go build a treehouse? Absolutely. That's what Tiggers do best. Yeah? This is the, the Tigger attitude is a disciple attitude. You want to go out and preach the gospel? Yeah, that's what disciples do best. Do you want to cast out a demon? Absolutely. That's what disciples do best. Do you want to sit in a dungeon after being beaten for preaching the gospel? Yeah, that's what disciples do best. Right? Because we're going to sing in that dungeon. We're going to turn that prison into a house of prayer. And later we're going to turn the jailer's house into a house of praise, into a house of salvation. Because that's what disciples do best. Albert Hubbard said, God will not look you over for medals, degrees, or diplomas, but for scars. Should I say that again? I got goosebumps. God will not look you over for medals, degrees, or diplomas, but for scars. What battles have you walked through? What battles have you won in the name of Jesus? What battles has he seen you through? And you've come out the other side still standing, still praising, still singing. We don't get through every battle singing. Sometimes it's all we can do just to stand, and that's okay, too. But we should go into the battle singing. It goes on to say, suddenly, in verse 26. Suddenly. Was it, though? Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. You know, we got to baptize like three whole families this weekend, their whole household. It's amazing. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Suddenly, an earthquake brought the, the walls crashing down. But in this case, and I think it's a little unique, at least in the stories that we've studied so far, they didn't go rushing out. You know, in the case of the walls of Jericho come crashing down, the army can rush in and take the city. And in the case of, you know, Jehoshaphat, the armies are fighting themselves, and they can go in and take the loot. That, that's what happens. Suddenly, God moves, and we get to take the goodness out of it. In this case, 
Paul and Silas didn't run. Did you notice that? Didn't immediately run out the doors. In fact, they stayed for the jailer. Because again, they had this eternal mindset. They realized that bad things are not always bad things. And maybe we're here for a purpose. And it, it, I don't know about you, but I would have definitely 100% taken that as a sign that I should leave the jail right then. <laughs> I mean, I've just been beaten, sitting in stocks, and there's a door suddenly. I'm going through it, right? I'm getting the heck out. But they didn't. And that's a healthy soul. They came back for the jailer because they realized that their situation wasn't only about physical freedom, but about spiritual freedom. They came back for the jailer. There's a lot of suddenlies in the Bible. Suddenly the walls came down. Suddenly the armies fought themselves. God works in the suddenlies. But I'm starting to think it's a physical suddenly maybe, but it's not a spiritual one. God builds those suddenlies the second you step out in faith. The second you enter into a situation that seems really bad, God is already providing a way out. That's what he does. It's, our, it's the story of the gospel. It's our favorite story. The, the hero rushing in doesn't deserve to die, but he sacrifices himself for so many. And that is what this is. My bold and brave ladies, we studied patterns of gospel. Here's another one. These guys, they didn't run when they had the chance to. They, they st- stuck around and set their oppressor free left that jail later in partnership with him. Who does that sound like to you? Jesus stayed when he could have left his tormentors behind. He stayed, subjected himself to the torment, and overcame it in partnership with his oppressors by the end. They didn't take those wide open doors as a sign they should run. They took those wide open doors as a sign they should save the jailer. That's a healthy heart, a healthy soul, that level of selflessness I don't think most of us have. And sometimes it takes a little bit of earth shaking for the oppressors to be saved. Maybe that's why the bad things happened, because bad things are not always bad things, and God works on a whole nother level. He can see that that jailer would never have gotten the gospel message. Maybe that jailer went on to change the entire city and and generations after Maybe it was all about him going to that city in the first place. Paul and Silas, I don't think they were even questioning the purpose. They just sang. They just trusted that because they followed the spirit of the Lord, that they are where they're supposed to be, even after a beating, even in the prison, and just trusted him in that place. That jailer awoke from not just a physical sleep, but a spiritual one. Awake, go sleeper. It's the call of the gospel. Wake us up spiritually. And so far, I've been likening us to Paul and Silas in this story. That, that we should sing in the face of our oppressors, right? Van can go ahead and come. But maybe we're not Paul and Silas. Maybe we're the jailer. Maybe it's all about my sin that put Jesus on that cross. I'm the oppressor in the gospel story. Jesus willingly put himself in that situation for me. And when he had the chance to run, he stayed. 
took step-by-step, decision after decision, walking toward his torment, his death for me. He chose to put himself on that cross. He overcame death for me. And now I get to partnership. I get to walk in partnership with him. I was once his oppressor, and now I'm in partnership with him and right standing with God. Not because I deserve it, but because God is good. The evil in my life, the battles in my life are all just meant to bring me back to him. Someday, I'm going to get to be in that perfect place where I get to worship God for eternity. But I'm going to have the foreknowledge that I've experienced a little bit of evil and it's not for me. I get to worship him in heaven. And I can see that now because of the things that I've walked through. The the beatings that I've endured, the prisons that I've been caged in. Nothing the world can offer me compares to him. And we're going to keep reading in just a second. But first, I want to pray. I want to offer you the chance to come out of that prison, to walk out of your circumstances and your battle and your struggles in partnership with Jesus. Father, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you for your discipline. We even thank you for the battles that we've walked through. Thank you that you are good. And even in the dungeons, even after the beatings, we can still say that God is still God and God is still good. And I'm going to trust him no matter what. Thank you for sending some earthquakes sometimes to mess up our way of thinking and bring us to the reality of your goodness. If you're sitting there and heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're saying, I don't know Jesus. But I want to give my life to him today. I want to start this relationship and walk out of my prison of fear and shame and sin. Walk into the light with him. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are at me? Anybody like that here today? I want Jesus. Just one. Keep that hand raised until the ushers bring you a little card. We just want to give you some instructions on what this decision means. Help you with that journey. Anybody else? I want Jesus today. Okay. Father, we thank you. Look back up at me for just a minute. Because this story goes on and I think this, the ending to this story brings the best ending to battles ever. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. I would have been out of there once again. But no, Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. We are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Paul knew exactly who he was. On more than just a Roman citizen level. He could not have done any midnight singing if he didn't know who he was on a God's kingdom level. He was not just a Roman citizen, he was a citizen in God's kingdom. That's why he could sing in the prison. That's why he didn't allow the oppressors to get away with what they did. 
This is what worship does, and this is what battles is all about. Singing in the face of battles, worshiping God in the face of our battles because it aligns our identity with his. It prioritizes our situation with his reputation. It changes our perception. That's, it's why we sing at midnight. It's why we sing in the valley of the shadow of death. It's why we sing in the prison. It's why we sing before, during, and after battle because he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do and whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you Jesus even said I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you may have trouble but in me you will have peace but take heart because I have overcome the world if you're taking notes get this down this is the end of battles here's what I've learned about battles number one Battles are not always bad things. I'm starting to look at the bad situations in my life and just thank God at the beginning because I already know he's going to work it out and it's there for my good. Sometimes God's testing us to set us up for better. Sometimes he's, he's setting a stage for his glory to be spread on a level that hasn't been seen before. But either way, I want to be part of that. Battles are not always bad things. Number two, we need the battles to shape who we are and to teach us who God is. God prioritizes spiritual health over physical health and wealth. I'm believing in God's promises, yes, but more than that, I'm believing in Him, who He is, what He's going to do, and I don't need to know the ending necessarily to have that faith because I know who he is. Number three, faith isn't what makes it work out in the end. It's not. God has already done that. Faith is what gets us through the middle part. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. It's mysterious and, and magical and amazing. It creates. Faith imagines. Faith hopes, it designs, it's the very language of God because it creates life. That's who God is. True faith does not merely resign itself to a divine plan or detached promises. Faith embraces a promising person, Jesus. That person, Jesus, values spiritual health above everything because that's the only thing that lasts for eternity. We must remember that the promises in which God, in which Jesus is clothed, we must remember those, but not let us preach a set of clothes. We're preaching who he is above everything else. It's the person of Jesus that stands at the center of saving faith, not just God's promises. Who he is the person that stands in the promises. In the end, this series has been all about faith. Faith in the face of battles, in the face of enemies that cannot be overcome, in the face of walls that cannot be torn down, relationships that can't be just restored. Faith in the impossible, but not because we have faith in ourselves or the universe or, or love or faith in faith itself even. Faith in Jesus Christ, the overcomer, the victorious savior of our souls. We are citizens in his kingdom and we fight our battles as his warriors.
because nothing can stop our God. Come on! I hope this series has put out some warriors, people ready to fight. Because listen, if you look at the titles of this sermon, it starts with waking the dawn with your worship, crying out in battle to see your victory, and then walking and living in your true citizenship. They didn't have to run. They didn't have to fear because they knew who they were. Stand in your citizenship. I hope that after this week we have some midnight worshipers, some late night warriors, some people who will go a little farther for the kingdom. Not so they feel good, but so they honor their citizenship. Will you wake up and worship? Will you go to bed in prayer? Will you live a life like a citizen of heaven? Because that's how we fight our battles. I want to thank you for working with us. I want to let you know if you're still considering yourself new here, stop by the meet and greet. Talk to a pastor. Our prayer team is going to be available at the front. You made a decision for Jesus. Stop by the I main table. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. everybody, welcome to Home Groups, where we apply the message we heard this weekend at FV Church. And this weekend was the final week of our battle series, and Candace told one of those amazing early church stories from the book of Acts about Paul and Silas. Yeah, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for casting a demon out of a girl. Uh, the whole city was in uproar, couldn't believe they would do that to somebody. I mean, obviously they did a good thing and a bad thing happened, thrown in jail beaten, put in the dungeon, in the stocks, and yet we find them singing. Yeah, it was one of the worst possible situations they could be in. They're, they're bleeding, they're, they're locked up, like hands and feet, it, it just, it sucks. And, and their response is a weird one. Everything's bad, nothing is good, guess I'll praise the Lord. Yes. And they just start singing and singing and singing. And I don't know how long they had to sing there, at midnight in the middle of the dungeon, but something broke because of their worship. Yeah, an earthquake happened, doors popped open. Um, a, a amazing thing, not that they just ran out either. The rest of the story is yeah. they went back to the jailer's house and they got him saved and along with the rest of his household. And so it's this amazing moment where we see bad things not always being bad things and often we get into these bad situations in our life and we conclude that God hates me or we're doing the wrong things or we're sinful people and over and over throughout the New Testament we see Jesus saying no 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 this happened for a completely other reason it's it has nothing to do with how God feels about you or even you the sin in your own life sometimes things happen to give glory to God to make his glory 
better, bigger, um, more widespread. Sometimes things happen because God is testing us because he wants to give us more in the end. It's so just... the first question we have is, do you have the dungeon faith? Like, yeah. like if you were thrown in a dungeon for doing the right thing, following God, what would be your first response? Are, are you the type of person who would curl up in a ball, who would like cry about the injustice of it all? Um, or would you have a response like uh, Paul and Silas to worship in that moment? And I don't think that my first response would be to worship, but it was theirs. And you know, those walls, they came down suddenly, but it, it wasn't sudden. No. They built in their life an attitude of worship for years. And then when the Holy Spirit filled them, they had the boldness, they knew it, they did it. Then suddenly the walls. All right. We want to talk a little bit about worship in our groups today because it's so powerful to get your eyes off of the situation and on to God. Something breaks in the spiritual when that happens. And we so often take the bad situations in our life and want to be down on the dumps and all Eeyore about it. We want to complain and whine and try to figure out what went wrong. That's right. When in reality, we should just be continuing to sing. And it's often the times when we feel like singing the least is when we should be singing the most, praising and worshiping God. So let's start building that into our lives before those dungeon moments, before we need the midnight worship. Let's do it now in the daytime or when you're at home, if you wake up in the middle of the night, is your response to pray and worship? How can you build those patterns in so that your default, your in the darkness thought is, I just need to worship. I just need to worship. I just need to worship. Yeah. Have a great discussion, guys. We'll see you next week.